The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning I want to go back for just a little bit uh, to the book of 1 Samuel. And I, I want to just kind of scratch the surface of the next episode in the life of David. As you know, we've been preaching about David for some time. David is the only person in Scripture that is called a man after God's own heart. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was a man, but he was also God. So he had God's heart. He was God. But David uh, was a man who was like you and me. And we see that from his life. We see, we're going to see some, some of that today in the fact that David wasn't perfect. And he didn't live a perfect life. But how is it that this man who is imperfect and a sinner like me and like you was ultimately called a man after God's own heart. Well, we've talked about that to some extent in the past. We've seen where throughout the thrust of his life, the primary focus of his life was being faithful to God, was serving God and giving God all the credit for all of the victories in his life. And we'll even see as we continue this series that when David falls, when David commits sin that uh, is terrible, heinous sin that causes great, sinful, terrible consequences, he nonetheless doesn't blame anybody else, but he humbles himself before God. Well, this, this morning I want us to go back. If you recall last time, we dealt primarily with chapters 18 and 19, and um, part of 19 rather, and... Um, uh, and we talked about the aftermath of David's victory over the, over the giant. And we saw where David, unlike so many other people in the world, was able to survive his success. You know, most people um, can get through adversity. The problem is success. That's, that's the problem in America today, as we said last time. It's not, you know, we're not struggling. I mean, I don't see anybody here about to starve to death because uh, you don't have enough food to eat or you don't don't have uh, coming to church without any clothes to wear or or don't have any place to you know we, we we're so blessed in america today that it's almost turned to our undoing because yeah. we said last time for you know every hundred people say that can i've heard it said that for every hundred people that can survive adversity you can only find one that can survive prosperity and David survived it, and he survived it by giving credit to God. He survived it by not taking any credit for himself and by, as, he, as we're told, um, behaving himself wisely. That is, being circumspect in his walk and continuing to follow the, the dictates of the Word of God and following God's path for his life and not his own and continuing to be servant-hearted. You want to be a man after God's own heart? Be a servant-hearted man. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ did? He didn't just, you know, most of the gods that uh, we read about in ancient uh, pagan, uh, that ancient pagan pantheon of gods is, uh, were gods that sat high on the mountain. Zeus sat up on Mount Olympus and only rarely uh, deigned to come to condescend to the human level. And when he did, it was usually for some selfish purpose. But God, our real, the real God, the God of hosts, the God of heaven, sent his son down who condescended to become one of us yes. in order that he might save us from our sins. He became a servant 
And he told us that, did he not? In the church, you, hey, you want to you be the greatest person in the church? You have that desire? Be the greatest servant. <laughs> Serve the most. And, and we'll, let's, let's have a contest like that. Let's just see who's the greatest in the church. You know, it's going to be, it'd be hard for me to pick because there's so many of you that serve in so many ways. Um, but that's the way David was. But as we get into chapter um, 19, and actually um, some of chapter 18 we'll look at, but we see that, um, that things were getting worse for David as between him and Saul. Let's look at the end of chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 28. We, say Saul, we read that Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, daughter loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. And then the princes of the Philistines went forth and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself wise, more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name was much set by. Now, let me just stop and say this. Uh, you can read about this throughout the Word of God. One place that I recall is in the, in, in the account of Herod and John the Baptist. If you live a godly life, if you try to serve the Lord uh, to the best of your abilities, people are going to be afraid of you. And people are going to ultimately, that fear may turn into jealousy or hatred even. And you may make enemies just by serving God. Jesus said that there will be, he said, if they hated you, they'll hate me. <laughs> he said, they hated me without a cause. And you're an imperfect disciple of mine. And sometimes there is a cause. At the very least, you're a sinful creature. <laughs> he said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Sometimes our enemies are not of our own doing. It's just simply because we're serving God in the way that we should. And as you get into chapter 19, verse 1 says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. So things are heating up for David. The, the, the melting, the, the pot is boiling, if you will. He's, he's beginning to experience the pressures that weren't there when he was a shepherd boy on the hillsides of Judea. So what's he going to do? Let me just say this, as Christians, we all struggle with the issue of self-control versus spirit control. We all suffer from that. You know, we live in a self-sufficient, self-promoting society. You know, our, our, our biggest admiration is the self-made man, right? Oh, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He's a self-made man. And I always go back to this, and I, I don't mean to belabor this and beat, it, beat you over the head with it, but it's that John Wayne mentality. Every guy here in this room loves John Wayne, I'm sure. You know, some of you ladies may too, but he, you know, John Wayne was a man, and he didn't need anybody, you know? And if you, if you really believe the press about him, you'd almost come to think he didn't even, he was just sort of an exception to the need to have the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, because John Wayne was just such a tough man. And we admire men like that, you see. And, and as I heard the song, you know, as I, I used that before, you, uh, I've told you about it before, the, the Gaither song that says, uh, it's called Jesus and John Wayne. You know, we kind of live our lives, don't we, in between the two of them. You know, on one hand, I want to be John Wayne. On the other hand, I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm somewhere in the middle most days, you know. I need to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ instead of John Wayne. But we admire self-made men. But, but the reality is, for the child of God, is that we are God-made men, Okay. We are Christ-like men. We're supposed to be living by faith. And here we begin to see a chink in the armor of David. And, and I, I, I confess to you, I'm glad to see it because it gives me a little hope. 
you know, I, I know I'll never attain the, the, the level of the Lord Jesus Christ, although he's my standard that I should always measure myself by. But in my practical walk, my practical daily experience here, I like to see others that are in encouragement to me, and David's one of them, because I see he's got some of the same problems I have. You see, David also struggled with the idea of self-sufficiency versus God's sufficiency. And we're going to see first this morning the display of David's failing faith. And the first thing we see that he did is he entertained his fears instead of maintaining his faith. Now, we've already seen what living in fear will do. You can just read the life of Saul and you'll see it. Saul's reign started out in fear. He was hiding among the stuff when they came to anoint him king. He was, he was afraid, I believe, from the very beginning and, and tried to rely upon him, his own uh, efforts and his own talents, his own abilities throughout his kingship. And then in verse 29 that we read in chapter 18 there, it says Saul became David's enemy continually. But look what it said first. Saul was yet the more afraid of David. I tell you what fear will do. Fear leads to bad outcomes. Fear leads to the destruction of relationships. Fear leads to the destruction of churches. Fear leads to the uh, failures that we see in Saul. It leads you away from God because you cannot walk in fear and still be walking by faith. You see, you know, as, as, they, as, as the old... Uh, uh, saying, I've heard, if you pray, don't worry. If you worry, don't pray. <laughs> they don't go together. <laughs> they just don't work together, okay? You know, if you're going to worry, just worry. But if you're going to pray, rely on God, you see. And we live, we all struggle with that. And we see that David is going to struggle with this as well. And you can begin looking down. The first part of chapter 19, we'll come back to it maybe next time because uh, we want to deal with a little bit of it. But you notice that uh, for the second time down in verse 8, after uh, David goes out and he, 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 uh, he uh, conducts himself uh, in a, in a, in a, with valor and he slays a great number of Philistines, and then he was going back and playing again on the harp, we're told in verse 19 that the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. David played with his hand. And verse 10, Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. We see here now that David, probably wisely so in this point, you know, that's the second or third time that Saul's tried to kill him with a javelin while he's playing on the harp. So it's probably a good idea that he did get out of there right then. But notice that where this led him to was back to his house, because verse 11 says, Saul sent messengers also into David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. Now, let me stop right there and ask you a question. Is that really true? Is that really true? Think about who David is. Saul is no longer the king in God's sight. Now he's the king sitting on the throne. Practically, he is the practical king, if you will. He is uh, there on the throne and the nation of Israel acknowledges him as such. But is it more important for the nation to acknowledge him as king or for God to acknowledge him as king? <laughs> you see, David's the king. <laughs> he's already been told, you're going to be the king. But Michael, his wife... This is a young man now who's newly married. And Michael, his wife, gives him some advice that's really not good advice. She says, if you don't save your life tonight by running, 
then tomorrow you will be slain. <laughs> now, now understand, there was a reason for fear here. There was a reason for fear. But think about this too. Was there not also a reason for fear standing down in the valley of Elah? Looking at the giant? <laughs> was there not a great reason for fear on the hillside of Judea when the bear and the lion came and he slew them? They talked about that in glowing terms, about God's faithfulness to him. And I want to say to you, child of God, even if it's your spouse, even if it's your best friend, sometimes they can give bad advice. Job knew that. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Now, I don't advise you men to tell your wives that very often, but, but if you're sitting in the ash heap scraping yourself with a pot shard and she's telling you to you know, curse God and die, you might get away with it, okay? But uh, I mean, how worse can it get? But, but, uh, but that's what Job remembered that, but David here is listening to his wife. And obviously, he pays attention to what she says because in this faithless, he takes her faithless counsel <laughs> And verse 12 says, Michael let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. Now you might be thinking right here, wait a minute, I think that was a pretty shrewd thing on their part. That's pretty smart. You know, they were acting shrewdly. But I want to say to you, God values faithfulness over shrewdness. God values faithfulness over shrewdness. You may think you're being smart, but you're not going to outsmart God. You know, God basically just says, hey, stick to the plan. God has a plan, and we just need to stick to it. But see, David, David entertained his fears instead of maintaining his faith, and he began to manipulate his circumstances instead of trusting God. Don't we sometimes get confused between the way we believe and the way we behave? I don't know if you have that problem or not, but I have it all the time. The way I believe, I trust God. I know He's the all-powerful, all-sovereign God. I know that the thoughts He thinks toward me are good thoughts. <laughs> I know that the things that, that He has in store for me are good things. Oh, but you know, I just, mm, I, know this is, I, I know this is what I believe He wants me to do. Let me just manipulate my circumstances a little bit and help God out. That's what they're doing here. Verses 12 through 18, they manipulate the circumstances instead of trusting God. Now remember, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is the same David that just a few weeks or months earlier stood before a giant with nothing but a sling and a stone and the solid rock of God. You see, he's the one. That did and yet now he says, so Michael let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped and Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a goat pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth and when David sent I mean when Saul sent messengers to take David she said he is sick and Saul sent the messengers again to see David saying bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him <laughs> and when the messengers were come in behold there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster now look at verse 17. Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that is escaped? You know, we see in the life of Michael just a very small glimpse into her life. She obviously was not a woman who walked very much by faith. Because notice what she says here. Oh, Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? In other words, uh, she says, Oh, daddy, daddy, he threatened to kill me or I'd have never done this to you. She's the one that told him what to do. She said, let me let you down uh, with this, uh, uh, this rope through the window. 
But now she's just manipulating her circumstances as well. Verse 18, so David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he, he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. Now, notice what he's done. He's a little bit confused between what he thinks and what he believes and what he's doing. You say, how do you really know what, he's belie what he believes? Well, guess what? We know what he believes at this very time because in Psalm chapter 59, he wrote it down. Let's turn over there and look at it for just a few minutes here as we try to bring this to a close this morning. Psalm 59, you notice, you know, don't ever skip over the titles here. Notice what it says in Psalm 59. It's, this is a description of the psalm. To the chief musician, Altashith, Mictam of David, when Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. So what we're about to read is what was going through David's mind during this time where he escapes by climbing down out of the window. Now listen to what he says. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin. Oh, Lord, he's, he's affirming there. I haven't really, I haven't done anything wrong. And he's right. He hadn't really done anything to make Saul mad at him. He is just jealous of him. And he says, they run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. They return at evening. He describes them here. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But listen to this. Now, this is what David's thinking now as he's fleeing away from Saul. He said, but thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. I wonder if he was thinking this as he's climbing down the rope. <laughs> you know, oh, I'll wait on you, God, but if I'm going to run away, why not wait? You know, he's saying, the God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemies. He's affirming with his mind and with his heart, just like Paul in the seventh chapter of Romans was, that I know what I believe. I know what I ought to do. But I'm getting a little bit mixed up in the way I'm living and the way I'm acting, you see. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power. He said, let them, let them stay alive. Just scatter them, Lord. And bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Selah. Maybe he's down at the end of the rope by now <laughs> and about to jump on the horse or whatever he's going to ride to get over to Samuel. Still thinking these thoughts of I'll wait upon God and at evening let them return and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city let them wander up and down for meat and grudge the, if they have be not satisfied but I will sing of thy power yea I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble unto thee O my strength will I sing for God is my defense and the God of my mercy that's what David's thinking He's not behaving that way, is he? Right. He's, he's manipulating his circumstances. He's trying to 
fix things and help God. Now, as we kind of bring this to a close, you say, preacher, what he did doesn't really seem that, that wrong. I mean, you got the whole king against you. The whole kingdom is against you. I mean, wasn't it just being wise? Wasn't it just being wise as serpents and slithering away, <laughs> you know, and harmless as doves? Could he have stayed where he was and been okay? Surely not. <laughs> but I believe the, the Lord gives us a little insight to that as we continue reading. And I submit to you that the, the answer is an absolute yes. He could have waited upon the Lord. He could have been faithful instead of fleeing in fear. Because what we see is this. In verse 18, we read that he fled and went to Samuel. And look at verse 19 now. Listen to what happens. In verse 19, it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. <laughs> okay, he goes down there. Now remember, David's with Samuel now at Ramah. And he sends this troop of men to go get him. And notice, he said, well, they better run. They better flee. Samuel, come on, let's go. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. They sent a, he sent a platoon down there to take him, and they started preaching. <laughs> okay? Now, now look, when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. He said, well, I'm going to get him one way or another. And they prophesied likewise. He sent another troop down there. I, I imagine it's probably bigger than the one before. You know, he said, well, if they can't do it, we're going to send these guys down there. And they start preaching. <laughs> and then he also went to Ramah. Well, I'll go. If you're going to do something, you, get something done, you do it right, you've got to do it yourself. So Saul says, I'll go down there. <laughs> it says, then he went also to Ramah and came to a great well that is in Secu. And he asked and said, where? Samuel and David and one said behold they be at Naoth and Ramah surely Samuel and David it's time to run right I bet you David was over there saying Samuel Samuel look now we got to go the big man's coming and he that is Saul went thither to Naoth and Ramah and the spirit of God was upon him also and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And notice it got even worse for old Saul. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say is Saul also among the prophets. You know, those, those, those troops of men went down there and they started preaching. <laughs> You know, that's one thing. But Samuel, the king, I mean, Saul, the king goes down there and he gets naked and starts preaching. You know, that's a little bit out of order, wouldn't you say? <laughs> that's something amazing that doesn't normally happen. That's, that's because God was in the matter, you see. The Spirit of the Lord was there protecting him. And so David, who tried to manipulate his circumstances, and he's not finished yet. David learned a great lesson, I believe. When you understand who God really is, you don't have to take matters into your own hands. You can trust Him to work it out. See, our God is a great God. Our God's not called the Lord of hosts for no reason. And this God of armies who has protected David to this point in his life, and even while David is running away and not living by faith, He's going to continue to protect him, and we're going to see that as we move on through this series. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.